Welcome to Lemonade Learning, a refreshing look at learning today. We serve up high impact practical strategies alongside honest and energizing stories to help educators. Make the most of your moments, lead and learn with purpose, and craft lifetime lemonade from the sweets and sours of education. Join us for a glass. Hey everybody, it's Bree. And Lainey, welcome. We're so happy you're here. Thank you for listening. And we have just an amazing guest. I know I say that every time, but like people, we only invite folks that we would want to go to happy hour with and have conversations about education and life and things like that. So this next guest is absolutely one of those people. She's so amazing. Yaritza Vijalva. Did I say it correctly, Yaritza? Yes, yes. Okay, I like it's my biggest fear because I tell you people mispronounce my first and last name all the time. And I try really hard never to do that to people, but it happens. Anyways, Yuritza, you are an amazing educator. I have been following you on Twitter. I am so inspired by your work. I won't do it justice. So I would love it if you just told people, you know, what are you doing as an educator? So, hey guys, first and foremost, Thank you for having me. I'm super excited and I wish I had like twisted lemonade in my cup, but it's only water. Um, I've been teaching for 11 years here in Brooklyn, New York, Bethesda-Stuyvesant, everybody calls it Best Eye. Um, I service students whose ages range from 16 to 21, so they're overage and undercredited, which means they've had um, high school experience for eight or nine years, which typically is supposed to be four years. Um, with my work and my service with those students, I've actually received the opportunity to now have a show with Flipgrid, which everyone has heard about, um, the Actuarita series. And I'm so excited to be here to discuss that and the plans for 2021 because I have a surprise for you guys. Wait, like, is this a reveal? Yes. Oh my goodness. This is exciting. We haven't had a reveal before. This is super exciting. This is super exciting. Okay. Well, we're going to get to that. And in the meantime, uh, what, tell us about your sweet and sour, just so we can kind of catch up with what you're, what you're feeling and thinking right now. Like what's Ooh, going on? My sweet, my sweet. So um, when a pandemic hit, so I have a nonprofit. Let me go back, right? I have a nonprofit, it's called YV Educational Resources. And what I do is I create resources for educators, free of course. And um, during a pandemic, it was very imperative that I thought about teachers and educators because I knew that there would be a time where platforms just stop offering resources for free, right? It's almost like, here, we know you need it, but now it's September, school's budget is back. And so um, what I did and um, a few of my friends is we actually created webinars for teachers all over the world. And they focused on SEL, student engagement and parent engagement, which are three topics that most educators need regardless of the discipline or subject area. And so for me, that was my suite, just being able to give and not expect anything in return. And all three sessions were just so much of a hit that we decided, okay, next summer we'll do the same exact thing, whether it's a pandemic or not, um, because, you know, educators were just like, yes, thank you. And then we had a lot of sponsors. So I had Flipgrid sponsor us and Wakelet and Pear Deck, and we were able to give out swag. And it was just, you know, a free event on a Saturday. Educators just, you know, trying to be their best. So that was definitely my suite. That's that's no. sweet for everyone. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> that's amazing. And my sour. Uh, 
I know. It's like sweet and sour chicken. It's like the best of both worlds. But anyway, I'm going to go into that. Um, my sour for me was just um, not being able to see my students face to face. In New York, even though we were set up to be blended in September, um, obviously cases increased. And so we're now back home. And the way my school schedules students is every 30 days, I have a new cohort of students. So this is my first time ever teaching students that I've never met. Um, because they had that option to have their cameras on or off, you know, I don't, I'm not pressing the issue of, you know, having your camera on. There's some students I've never met before. I've never even seen. And so for me, it's, it's difficult because I'm so used to being that teacher that's like, Hey, how are you? How's it going? I love your sneakers. I love your shirt. And now I'm like, can you hear me? Because I can't tell, like, if you can hear me, I, I can't see a nod because everything is like, off. Um, so that has been my style for sure. I'm, I'm big on building relationships with students. And because I can't see them, it's, it's kind of difficult. It's, it's hard. And you know, in you know, pre pandemic online learning, you can set that expectation to have the camera on because it was a choice to go to online mm -hmm. learning. And so now yeah. us having to kind of renegotiate all these norms and hopefully co create, which I, I know you're, you're one of those people that would be doing that. So it's hard. It's hard. And it's just, you kind of just have to go, well, that's unfortunate. And then try and think about the other ways that you can make those connections. And I'm sure there are. Would you be willing to share some of the other ways that you're kind of getting to know them and building community? And maybe there's like a, a for those who are watching, there's something on screen with you that might be helping with that. I'm not, I'm not sure. But <laughs> <laughs> so Flipgrid, um, Flipgrid for me was just, it was a lot more than just fun and games. You know, a lot of educators that I know were introduced to Flipgrid was just like, oh, this is so much fun for the students. They have emojis. Um, they could put different frames. And for me, it was, how do I amplify the voices of students, even if they don't want to be seen? And so Flipgrid was one of those uh, platforms where at first my students were just like, miss, I'm not doing this figure out a way for me to upload a document. I'd rather type. And you know, when a kid says, I'd rather write an essay than to create a video, it's something wrong. Yeah. And so what I did was I did a lot of research on platforms that we could app smash with Flipgrid. And I realized, hey, these are platforms that my students could actually use on their cell phones. Because that was a big, you know, for me, that was like when remote learning occurred, it impacted my students drastically. And not only because they didn't have devices, but because they were always dealing with this. So it was like it, it magnified, you know, them not having the resources and it, it was just like double. Yeah. And so I had to think about, OK, so the DOE gave them laptops. But guess what? They don't have Wi-Fi. Or for the students who got the iPads that had the Wi-Fi, now some platforms you can't download the apps because, you know, they're locked. But you do have a cell phone. And so what platforms work? that you can use your cell phone on. So I started to do a lot of research. Um, iMovie is one that my students use um, and they create movies on iMovie and just upload it to Flipgrid and add their voices. Um, we have Adobe Spark uh, for my students who hate showing their faces. You know, now Flipgrid has mic mode so kids could just, you know, use the mic. But prior to that, there was no mic mode. So my students were just like, okay, I'll create a poster and describe everything as long as you don't have to see my face. Um, but we have to be creative as educators because when you're not, it almost seems like you're not prepared to teach individual students. 
you know? And so I would say I looked at Flipgrid um, as an avenue to educate and, and engage all of my students, but individually. I didn't expect the same thing from all of them. I knew, okay, I'm meeting you all the way over here, which means even if you took two steps forward, that's progress, as opposed to this student who's already here, now I have to push you further. Okay, you know how to use iMovie. Now I need you to create an entire commercial for me. And so it's just, you know, find a way to engage students during this time where we know it's, it might get a little worse, especially during the holidays. I, I'm going to jump in here and say, I love that because I, I have been one of those. I was an early adopter of Flipgrid. And um, I remember, you know, having some of those same conversations, you know, and introducing it to, to my campuses and my district and, you know, all of this stuff. I mean, this is like even pre, you know, before Flipgrid became free for everyone and, and all of this stuff and, and people being like, oh, well, this is really great. But then they're also being that like, what happens if I can't, um, you know, what if, what if a kid doesn't want to have their face on a video or all of that and me saying you know hold up a piece of paper or or you know that there's there are other ways to do this besides limiting it to putting your face out there and so I love that you are sharing that because it is one of those pieces where we can't force people to adapt to the tool we have to use the tool to adapt to the needs of of the the learner and the user right and I think that that's one of those pieces that is so important and and I think um you know again especially you see this probably more so than than many of us because you are, um, you know, working with a lot of students who the the typical quote unquote traditional um, education structure hasn't really worked for them in in whatever means, and so trying to just take this remote situation and and force it into that circumstance isn't going to work um for you for your learners either and so it's really cool to hear you um you know think beyond that think beyond the 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 constraints or the 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 logistics of of what that tool is and and instead adapt it to the needs that your your students have i agree i i, I usually just share with educators just imagine um, sitting through a PD and your principal tells you you have to do something, not try it out and see if it works, but you have to implement this and it has to be implemented by the end of the quarter. How would you feel as an adult? And so when we do it to students, I'm just like, dude, you were upset that your principal made you do this and now you're forcing a kid to do this. And so sometimes as educators, we have to put ourselves in, you know, the seats, the student seats and, and figure out what's best for that student. And nine times out of 10, it's, you know, just us thinking about our 16 year old selves or 17 year old selves. I know when I was 16, I was looking at my professors and my instructors as if they had three heads. Like you wanted me to do what? And read what? And take this home? And what? Buy a what? $250 a calculator, huh? And so we have to think about how our students feel now. We've asked them to do away with everything they thought learning was and just adapt to changing times, but also adapt to the fact that teachers are now being introduced to millions of platforms that most don't know how to use effectively. So as you're learning, we're pushing kids to learn, but then you you might switch it up as well, right? Today I may use Pear Deck, but because my colleague used Wakelet and she has a ton of resources, I decided to now implement it on Monday. So kids are trying to take all of it in at one time and process every single piece of information, but we're not giving them the time to actually engage with it in a way where they could just understand it first and then have fun with it later.
Oh, there's so much you said that I just, I'm like processing. And one of the things that really resonated when you talked about um, the kids getting used to the tools and, and more so than the tools, how to learn in this environment, right? Because, and this is something yeah. we have observed in the history of like, even the flipped classroom. Um, you know, a lot of teachers thought I'm going to do the flipped classroom and I'm going to get the slow clap when I walk in. It's going to be a mic drop moment. My kids are going to be like so happy. It's like, well, not your kids that knew how to do it before and were perfectly happy sitting there for a lecture. They were like, um, why? But those kids who were struggling are maybe more happy. Um, so when you have, and you particularly dealing with older students, you, you probably see this more than an elementary school teacher would, where an elementary school teacher doesn't have kids who have a long history with education. So they're like, well, this is it. Like my son's in first grade. He's like, well, this is how first grade is this year. Like he has no, he has no understanding that this is crazy. Um, so I, I appreciate that a lot. And I also appreciate that I think all three of us are, are really focused on not the tools, but the, the constraints and the needs, yeah. and then deciding what tools we can use to meet those needs. And, and just one more thing I want to say, I love what you talk about, like, they're here, I'm going to them, not like you get to me, you know, so no. I just, I meeting them where they are. That's huge to me. I love that. Thank you. You guys are making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like to do here. <laughs> so I want to, I want to jump in and ask, um, you know, kind of building from that, you, you shared a little bit um, in, in your introduction uh, to us about the work that you did this summer um, and, you know, parent engagement and learning engagement and, and all of those things. But you also shared how you've got students who you've never seen faces and, and how difficult that is to have these relationships and all of that. And um, I think without knowing you super well, I, I still kind of feel like that hasn't slowed you down, right? Like you didn't write it off and say, okay, see you later kids. Like if you won't show me your face, then that means that we're just not going to learn this year. So can you give us some tips because there are and, and maybe not even tips maybe just like some mindsets that you have you know kind of come to um around how to meet your kids where they're at how to you know kind of build that relationship even when it's a dark screen that you're you know that that you're looking at and you feel like you're in a little bit of a seance and just saying like can are you here with me can you you know let me know that you're here um but uh what are you what are you finding um to, to help build that, that new and unknown bridge? So, so first I'll begin with this idea that um, prior to remote learning, so my students, their, their ages range from 16 to 21, I mentioned that, but there was a gap in the educational experiences as well. Some of them went to jail. Some of them were teenage mothers. Some of them, um, you know, drug abuse. Some of them were runaways. And so that dark screen, even though it wasn't physically there when we were in the class, it was there, right? And so I dealt with my students actually looking at me sometimes with blank faces. And for them, because it was court ordered, they were in the classroom. And so what I would first say is don't take anything personal. And, and it took me a long time to realize that their experiences are not my experiences, but I have to respect how they feel. And so I would say that teaching these students, especially for the past seven years, has been a blessing because I've learned that, you know, we all go through things and sometimes you can't make assumptions. My students will walk in and I'm just like bright and I'm happy and I use my Keurig and I sip my tea and I'm cracking jokes and they're just like, so what are we doing today? 
I put the Promethean table out. Folks never even heard of a Promethean table. I had the VR. You know, I had corners in my class. And I was just like, yes, we're doing stations. And they're just like, but I don't want to walk around. So what do you do? You don't take it personal. To me, it's, I still have to teach you. At the end of this course, I still have to make sure that you're leaving learning something. If it isn't the content, then it has to be the skill. And so what I would say is just just make sure that, you know, not every student is going to be willing to share with you their experiences. You have to be willing to keep pressing them to, hey, how are you? You know, how was yesterday? Did you eat? Because these are questions that I have to ask my students. And like, I'm, I'm glad that you guys mentioned uh, a little earlier about, you know, these are not traditional students. I have to ask my students, did you eat? I have to be mindful of what I eat during live instruction if I have students come on and they have the option to come on live instruction. That's another thing. I don't make it a requirement. You have things to do. You're an adult. You have to work. I'm working from home. Yes. But you have to actually go out and work at Target and you have to work at Walmart and you have to work in a grocery store. You have an actual job that you have to be physically there for. So who am I to tell you that you have to be on this live instruction? But what I can do is I can prepare slides for you or a pair deck for you in a way where you can teach yourself after. And if you really, really, really need me, I've created a help center for you to be able to contact me. So what I would say to teachers is you're going to see a black screen. Nine times out of 10, no one wants you to see their homes. I didn't want you to see my home today. So I'm like in my little storage room because this, you know, privacy, you never know. And so just imagine how your students feel if they don't live in, you know, the right environment. Or if, you know, I tell people all the time, school was their escape from home. And so they're in current situations that we don't know nothing about. If it's not written down or if it's not in their IEPs or if someone didn't call you in the office to let you know, you don't really know what these kids are going through. And so having that camera on exposes them, makes them more vulnerable. And guess what? Our students are not ready to be vulnerable in front of everyone. So as a teacher, if you notice the kid is constantly doing that, don't take it personal. What you may want to do is reach out to the kid and just say, okay, well, what else could I do? Do you want to meet with me one-on-one? Because sometimes that's, that's all they want is that one-on-one attention. I have students who come on sometimes just to say hi. And I'm just like, oh, I thought you had a problem with the imperialism lesson. They're like, no, Miss B, what's up? And I'm just like, <laughs> they want nothing. Yeah. Right. You know, like, I still want you to know that I'm here. And I'm like, all right. So you, you didn't need me today. Okay. So that. don't take it personal. I think that don't take it personal is really impactful. Like that, like that really, and and something else you said really hit home to me when you said um, the black screen was there before. Like, I think that we as educators made a lot of assumptions because people were in the room with us. Maybe we assumed they were learning. Maybe we assumed they were connecting with us. And I think this is really forcing us to think very critically about how well do I know the student? What kind of connection have I made? What kind of community have I built? And so that really, and and the designing with empathy and I'll pass it to Brie, but when you're talking about designing for like, this is again, how I'm gonna meet them where they are, like that just really gets me. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Brie, what do you think? Thank you. I would say that, um, you know, kind of going with that assumption of, you know, Lenny, what you were saying, where we often assume certain things. um, I think with that, we also need to understand that um, sometimes our students, 
we look at our students as if they can assume our intentions, right? Like, man, we, we're all in on this. Like we're here for them. We want them to know that, that we believe in them and that we trust them. But just like you said, I love that you said that you were like, they, they have all these experiences that we might not have, right? Like I will never, ever, ever forget. Um, one of my students, uh, that was, um, he was on, he, he had been retained multiple times. He was on, uh, you know, his, I called him his tours of duty through, through this particular grade level. And, um, and, you know, I had, I, I was new. He had never met me. I was new in the district and, uh, and I had inherited him basically because he had had every other teacher. And, uh, and, and he was one of those kids who was like so smart. Right. And you just, one of those that you were like, okay, help me understand like why, what, what's going on. And of course this kid was, you know, I mean, he's, four or five years older than his counterparts. And, and, uh, so I, I asked him to go out in the hall one day and I was like, I gotta, I gotta know, like, you are so smart. What are you doing? And he looked at me and he said, my mom's the smartest person in prison. Look where it got her. And I remember like, it caught me off guard. And then I like, just I looked at him and I was like, I, I don't have the same experiences that you have. Like, I don't have, I don't have words to say, I don't have anything to come back with that. All I can tell you is that I believe that, that you don't have to be what you you've seen and that, you know, like, let's, let's kind of come with, with some different ways around that. But it really resonated with me when you were saying that, like their experiences, just because they aren't my experiences, doesn't mean that their experiences aren't real. Right. And so we can't discount or, um, you know, excuse away or not even, um, you believe or buy into their experiences just because that's not what we had. Um, and then with that, I think the other part of it is, you know, so much of the relationships and we, we say, you know, we our, our classroom is built on these relationships, which is true. And learning is built on relationships, but relationships are built on trust and they, we can't forget how important trust is and what a road and journey that often is before they're comfortable enough to, you know, to, to, to really come to that. And, and again, like with that part, I appreciate that you also said, you know, we've got to also ask them, like, what are they comfortable with? So maybe they have a trust with you, but they don't have that same trust with their, with their class, right? Like they have experiences with some of these other people that have shown them, Hey, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm not ready to be vulnerable with these people because I know what, what that is, but I'm, I'm ready to be vulnerable with, with you. And so, you know, letting them speak to you in a one-on-one situation, we've all done that in, in face-to-face situations, right? Like we know the shy person or the one that, you know, has, has, has some uncomfortable, you know, has some discomfort around the way that they speak or whatever the case is where we, because we know that about them, we don't put them on the spot. Um, and, and we have to acknowledge that same trusting opportunity. And I, I think that like, I, I just, it's, it's such a beautiful way that you are doing that to, to and, and such a good reminder for each of us, regardless of what our role is, whether we're in the classroom or whether we are in a leadership position or whether we are, you know, at home, whatever that looks like, we have to remember to, um, that, that how, how, how integral trust is to that relationship and, and that, and, and, and vulnerability in there. Yeah, I mean, we're all human. We're all human. So just like I, I, 
and and as I said, you know, my students are the reason why I am the way that I am. Um, I meet students; they're all different, they're all unique, and um, their cultures is is just to me is like it's what gives them strength. And I have to be a better educator, and the only way that I can be a better educator is by acknowledging that they're human. They can feel upset. They have reasons to be upset. They can be happy if they ever want to be happy. Um, I know, you know, there's, there's so many different experiences where students are being forced to complete tasks that I just feel like, well, if we, if we were in a classroom, would you really have that kid doing this? If you had your supervisor in your classroom, would you really have a kid drawing or forcing a kid to draw when they don't want to draw? And so we have to take a step back and think about, you know, are there some aspects of our learning styles that we've changed now because we see it on social media and we've forgotten who our students are? So when, you know, Elf on a Shelf, I've been saying this for weeks, my students, we don't do Elf on a Shelf. Like I tell people all the time, I'm Panamanian. I wasn't raised thinking about elves, you know, to each his own. But when I did the research on it, it was just like, okay, this is a way that sometimes educators say, you know, well, the elf is fine and make sure that you're doing good work or he's going to come and tell. And I'm just like, wow, here's my students who have been incarcerated. Here's my students who are dealing with, you know, police brutality in the neighborhoods or always being, you know, under surveillance. Could you imagine me saying, here's this elf? that's going to report back to me what you're doing. Wow. And so we have to be very aware of how we're introducing things to the classroom, but also how it's going to impact students based off of their own experiences. It may not be that your 32 students have been incarcerated, but they may have a parent that's incarcerated. And like you said, and so we have to think about triggers. And so I'm always trying to think about what would trigger my students. So, okay, now if I'm on live instruction, I'm not gonna be in my living room because I have a Christmas tree with gifts. I don't know what students have gifts or what students have ever seen a Christmas tree. I'm not going to eat because I don't know if you ate this morning. And so there's certain things that I've learned. Okay, Yaritza, you're no longer in a physical classroom space. So you have to be very mindful because in a physical classroom space, kids will never see me eat unless they come to lunch. Um, other than that, we have to be cognizant and very aware of how we're either motivating kids or pushing them to drop out at this point. I, I think that, uh, that, you know, we've had this conversation before, Brie, the motivation versus compliance and in education because of ed code and other, you know, things forced on us, we lean compliance, which we know is not going to get us the best results. Um, even if it gets us butts in seats back when we're in person or for those who are in person, it's not leading to the best outcomes. Like how do we motivate the learner? And I love all the, the empathy and the consideration you give for circumstance and culture and all of these things. I think that's so important. Thank you. I think, I mean, it, it is that part where, you know, to me, one of the things that has come from, from remote instruction, from the pandemic, right, is that it has forced ourselves to deeply examine expectations of learning environments, right? Like we, you know, it's one of those things where we, um, 
because we have controlled what happened, I've said this before, like we have said within the United States that, that, um, you know, public education will meet this minimum standard, right? Like we say, like everybody has a right to free public education. Now we don't necessarily say that that's going to be the same everywhere, but we, we say that there's going to be the standard, but we have never in the United States said that there will be free public housing, right? Like nobody's house looks the same. And, and so, excuse me, I very much appreciate that realization. I mean, as a, as a former secondary teacher who, who knows that feeling for so many of, of our kids who are like, I don't, I, I don't know what's going to be happening in the background of my, of, of my, my situation. I don't know if my baby's going to cry or if I'm, you know, or, you know, all, all those different things that, that these students our, our feeling has been exposed. And, um, and, and at the same time, it also has forced us as educators to, to come to terms with that as well. Like we may think we know what our kids are going through, but we only see a certain time frame of them in, in that, in that way. Um, and I think it's also that like the publicness of, of what we have done in remote instruction, I think, um, across the board, like for me, um, my, my kids are in a, uh, they're, they're right now, who knows what's going to happen after, after winter break, because our numbers have skyrocketed here. And we are, like it is, it's, it's, uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a tough couple months um, to come uh, yet for us. But that said, right now my kids are still in a face-to-face environment. We um, we dismiss from school for for the uh, the winter break this coming Friday. And um, that said, uh, one of my one of my kids um, in their classroom this year they have a behavior chart, right? And and my kids have always had like some version of a behavior chart. Um, and I've had like really, you know, I, I'll go back in time to like when my oldest was in first grade, like as an educator, I've always told my kids, like, you know, I've always been supportive of that, of that educator. Right. And so like, if I get a piece of paper that says like, this is what they were doing, then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a conversation about it. Right. And like, that was, I, I, saw so many like marks on my son's, um, like on his little calendar. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like my son truly is one of the most gentlemanly little boys. Like he doesn't like to get in trouble. He doesn't, you know, all this stuff. And I remember thinking like, who is this, this like child. Right. And then I found out that like what her, that what that teacher's interpretations of these, you know, these infringements was very different than like what I would have seen it as. And, um, and, and so that kind of swayed my thinking on that. And then now fast forward to now my child, uh, my, my youngest is in a classroom um, and they have a, they have a, a behavior chart that is actually posted at the front of their classroom. And, um, and so it's been really hard for my little one because she, I know like it's, and it's, it's everything within me to be like, Ooh, this is I'm so sorry. I just have to interject really quick. Cause for those of you that are just listening, you are missing some serious facial <laughs> from your it's, it's not, I'm just going to, you to feel free to interject, but it is not in support of behavior charts. Is I, it? And no. it's no, and no. I, I go back. I go back to your comment, which I, and, and that's the whole reason why I, why I was bringing this up is because I, 
I loved your comment about we have to put ourselves back in that in that circumstance, right? And so like, I, you know, even at the very beginning of the year, when when my youngest, uh, you know, she had to go cut a letter, like they have these letter, you know, they have these number or like a, a word is spelled out, they have to cut a letter whenever they do something. And I had never heard, you know, it was one of those where I was like, okay, she comes in and she tells me and she's like, I had to cut a letter today. And I was like, what, what does that mean? And she's like, well, I, I did something that I wasn't supposed to do. And so I had to go cut a letter. And I was like, well, I mean, paint this picture for me. Like, what does this look like? And so here's my little eight-year-old and she's like telling me how she like had to walk up to the front of the classroom and like cut letters. And I was like, Oh, and, and I was like, how did that make you feel? You know? And it's one of those pieces where I say all of that, because if we put ourselves in that circumstance, right? Like the majority of us don't want to get called out for doing something that we, that's not a motivation. Like I, I stopped and wrote down your phrase of, are we motivating to push or are we motivating to quit? And I think that, you know, that is one of those pieces where so many of, you know, the majority of human beings, embarrassing them is not a, a motivation. It is more of that, like, now I, it almost changes their personality to where it's like, well, now I don't think I can do anything right. Or now I don't think that I can, you know, and I, I, I just, I know we're kind of like going down a little rabbit hill or rabbit trail on this, but I think that that is one of those pieces that again, remote instruction has um, amplified in so many ways because our classroom management strategies that, that have been used in the past take on a different lens and take on a different entity when we're put into these remote situations and we start to realize like, oh, that's probably not doing what I thought it was going to do. And now I have to rethink my motivation strategies, I guess. I guess maybe that's kind of the very long winded thing of what I was trying to get at of, of you know, I, I think that is so important to remember what our outcomes are that we're trying to get to. And it's not who has their letters still up at the front of the classroom, right? Like it's, it's the learning objectives that we're trying to get to and how can we better design that for their needs? So what I would say is <laughs> the behavior chart needs to go in the garbage with the elf on the shelf. Um, I almost had like a panic attack just listening to that. It's, it's, to me, it's almost like, um, what you're doing is you're exposing your, you know, every kid. And it's almost like, okay, well, if I didn't perform well today, there has to be a reason why. Behavior issues occur because there's something truly wrong. You never know if something happened on a bus or if something happened at home. And so kids just don't act out. There's, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. I have five nieces two nephews. There's no such thing as kids just acting out. There's always a purpose. Adults, we act out. There's always a purpose. And so having that chart, especially in front of the class, what you're saying is, I'm the teacher and you guys have to do everything that I say you're supposed to do. That's a totalitarian ruler. Like your class is not a, a, a democratic classroom. You're not asking kids to be themselves in their classrooms. What you're saying is, here are my list of 10 rules. You would abide by these rules. And every single time you do something that's not according to my rules, you have to cut out a letter or you have to go put a check mark that's going to deduct points on assignments that you've worked very hard on. And so what you're telling students is no matter how hard you try, 
If you're not going to do things according to my 10 rules, you're going to always lose out. And that's not how life goes. That's not how life is. As adults, you know, even when you go to college, the reason why college is set up so that kids can be independent is because that's how the workforce is. And so if my professor ever took away points because I sucked my teeth because he made me read 30 pages and write 25 pages after, that's a huge issue. Educators, we're being paid to do a job that's not supposed to be a totalitarian rule. And so for me, it's how dare you, you know, subtract points because a kid probably dropped the pencil because I've heard things that are absurd in classrooms that kids are supposed to sit there with, you know, their hands folded. I've heard it all before. I've heard a kid being, you know, written up for shooting a paper ball in the garbage. What? You know, as, as a former athlete and a coach, I coach JV basketball. I wish you would write one of my athletes up for shooting a ball in the garbage. If that's the case, don't have a garbage pail. And so we have to think about as teachers, take a step back, first of all. What are you deducting points for? What do you have kids cutting out letters for? If they're not doing a collage, no one should be cutting anything at this point. You know, and so I, I almost had a panic attack because it's just when will it end? When will it end? It's not a requirement for classrooms to have a behavior chart. It's, it's as easy as a teacher just sitting alongside that student and saying, okay, so what's going on? Yeah. All right, who took the pencil? Who did whatever? Like, okay, are you done? All right, perfect, let's, let's move on. You know, I, even the idea of teachers calling parents every five minutes for behavior issues that are not behavior issues. I still don't understand that. And I've been teaching for 11 years. And sometimes I'm looking at my colleagues like, you did what? You yeah. text the mother because of what? <laughs> Girl, if, if you don't go talk to that kid and ask the kid why he did it, we're supposed to be preparing students for life after high school. If you're not questioning the student for why they're doing things, then we're failing them once again. Yeah. We really need to focus the energy on catching them doing the right things and praising them and giving, I mean, giving them high quality feedback, you know, forgive the phrase praise, but I do think that we just want to catch them doing things, even if it's a small little thing, it doesn't have to be monumental, but just, you know, I love the positive call home. You know, there's a lot of stuff on Twitter going around where people are trying to focus on the positive. And my heart goes out to the teachers who I think it's a, a, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction that they're probably doubling down on classroom management because they feel so out of control. They feel like there's so little that they can control, but I can control a behavior chart. I can control this. And, and even when they're in person, they're still feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to be switched to remote next week or whatever it is. So I, I really, I, I, we have to, it's a bigger shift than just the classroom teacher because I think the classroom teacher has been taught this in their teacher prep program, right? So it was blessed early in their career. They have been told this is how it works to get compliance and no one uses the word compliance, but the reality is that's what we're looking for. Right. And so it's, it's a big shift. I, I'm so grateful that you're talking about this right now because I do think we need to be really thoughtful about this. Well, and I, th I think that that's, I mean, Lainey, you hit it straight on. Like that has been a cornerstone of, of so much of public education for so long, right? Like how many of us received the, you know, the, the first day of school, right? Like, you know, all of these things that you were supposed to do, you were supposed to have so many rules, you were supposed to have, you know, all of these different things. And it was all built around if you had a, a, a structure that was easy to understand um, and kids understood their boundaries, then they would, you know, listen 
better and they would be, you know, more prepared. And, and there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of good that comes with that, right? Like I'm not, I'm not trying to discount that. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we don't want to have a, a good environment. Like when we have a chaotic environment, chaos is, is, you know, sure to, to ensue. And, and there's definitely some order that needs to happen, but we have to be very intentional with what our outcomes are, right? Like it doesn't matter. I mean, I remember saying like, I, I had a huge bucket of golf pencils, of crayons, of, you know, highlighters of all this stuff. And I was like, I don't care. Like as long as it is you know, legible and I can see whatever it is that you're trying to, to write, like short of you, you know, cutting open your finger and writing in blood. Like you, I don't care if you write in a pen or a pencil or, you know, smoke signal or whatever, just write it. So that way we can turn in your assignment. And, and whereas, you know, other people were like, well, if they don't have a pencil, then that's, you know, an office referral. And I was like, okay, you're measuring the wrong thing. Like I measure, I, I'm, we're trying to to work on this essay, not on them bringing school supplies every day. And I think that that's where it is forcing us right now as educators to remember what we're trying to teach and what we're trying to measure. And, and it is hard because these are very uncertain times and our human nature is to go back to what we feel very certain about. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, again, it's just one of those pieces, especially right now, we've got to, to rethink those, those, those rules and that compliance. And now we really kind of place some more focus on that individual need to get to that learning that, that is happening. I think what we're talking about here ties back to something you said earlier, Yurita, about don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. If a kid, which this is silly to me, but to get written up for throwing a piece of paper as, as a basket into the trash can. Like, why is that a personal assault on you? Like, wh- wh- how does that action turn into that? And I do think that a lot of, and I will say I was 100% guilty of this early in my career. I made a thousand mistakes because I had been told by my teacher prep program, and I wasn't a teaching major. I was a psychology major, and I had to do the work afterwards to become a teacher. So I already was suffering from imposter syndrome. And then I needed to go through a teacher prep program to tell me how it's done. And so when they're telling me this is how it is, I'm doing that even when maybe the psych major or just the human being inside of me is like, I'm crushing this kid's soul. What is wrong with me? Like, that's really, really hard. So I love the don't take it personal. I think that's a really good tip. I think if we took more of these things, not personally, we would react differently. Right. And also just, you know, because I just had this conversation yesterday and I was just like, you know, there's no such thing as the norm. What we faced before the pandemic was not normal public education was never normal for people that look like me. And um, sometimes I, I try to, especially when I speak about culture responsive teaching to educators, I just want them to be aware that students are very different. And even if you had a class of all white students, they're all different. They listen to different types of music. They're exposed to different types of foods. They may dress different. They may grow up to be like totally different, no matter how much you've allotted that lesson to that curriculum. Baby, when they leave that classroom, they would not be the same. And so we have to think about how 
Yes, the pandemic revealed all the inequities that existed in education, but they've always existed in education. And so when teachers are doing these behavior charts, they've always existed. When teachers get mad because students are not performing well, that has always existed. But then we have to look at what students are being targeted, because I'm, I'm going to say targeted, right? What students are being targeted for behavior issues? What students are being targeted for not wanting to participate in a classroom when they're not seeing themselves in that classroom? And so I just wanted to take it a little step further because, yeah, we're going through the pandemic. Yes, everyone's struggling with remote instruction. I, honestly, if they were to say, all right, you said you had the final call, what would you do? I would do away with the rest of the school year, right? Because emotionally, our kids are drained and they're drained because they have to worry about academics and their own emotions. And so just imagine you're, you're trying to sit up and be like perfect for a teacher because they're asking questions about the solar system, but you're just like, I don't want to learn about this today. I want to sit with my baby sister that was just born yesterday because I'm actually home. So we have to really step back and think about how there was no such thing as a norm. Now that we've been exposed to all of these inequities that I know educators from different states were aware of, but now they're saying, hey, it's in my face. And I'm like, it's always been in your face. You just didn't want to acknowledge it. And so now that you have to acknowledge it, what are the next steps? Are you going to continue to have a behavioral chart? Are you going to continue to, you know, celebrate holidays that you know most of your kids don't even know about because it has nothing to do with their own culture? Like, how are we really teaching our students? Is it all about the fun and games or is it about preparing them? And so just having this conversation with you guys, I'm like, yes, 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 because everyone is just for fun and games and what looks right. The teacher prep programs are garbage. In, in Spanish, they're basura, right? Because honestly, like I, I majored in, in education um, at SUNY Albany, but then I got my master's at LIU Brooklyn and I was just like, I'm not learning anything, oh my God. And I was blessed to be teaching while doing my master's as a first year teacher. Um, so I started teaching at 21 and I was just like, wait, my kids are not like this. They're not aligned with what I'm reading in this book. What do you mean put, I remember a professor told me, put a seashell in the middle of my classroom and have each kid listen to it. And then, you know, compare what the kids are saying they're going to listen to. So I said, um, ma'am, professor, um, that's not going to work with my students who live in best style. They don't want to listen to a seashell. Like, where is instruction? Like, what am I preparing them for? And so it's just, how are we being prepared? What are we being told to do in classrooms? I've never been taught to, you know, really discipline students or to reach out to parents in a way where you're not saying, hey, John, did this, 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 but I wish you have a great holiday. No one ever says, you know, just ask the parent how they're doing. I text my parents every morning, hey, I hope all is well. I hope you grabbed your coffee, prepare for the snow, and I send a heart. Parents probably just like, this teacher is crazy. She texts too much. What's going on? But I want to make sure that when I finally do send you a progress report, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the crazy one who sent you text messages every morning about coffee and snow and a blue heart. And now I'm letting you know that um, Darius missed 10 assignments. So what are we going to do for the Christmas holiday break? You know, we, I, I guess there's a lot of things that we need to work on as educators, and we have to stop pointing fingers and just look at what we're doing in our classrooms.
I love so much that you talk about, so you're talking about presence there, right? You're texting them every morning, not with bad news. You're texting them every morning. And then when you do have something you need your help on, you're asking. So they know you're invested. They know this isn't just a, oh, that teacher's annoyed because my kid's bugging them or causing problems for them. They know that you care all the time because you're present all the time. I think that's really important. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I have behavior issues. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I've, I've had kids sometimes upload stuff and I'm just like, well, this, this is not about the war 1812. What, what is going on? I've had a kid post a whole YouTube, um, his YouTube rap on one of my assignments talking about Ms. V, take a look. And I'm like, this is not the assignment. I didn't reach out to his parent for that. I just said, you have 24 hours to get my assignment to me because I do not want to look at your YouTube. And then after he posted it, I actually put his YouTube video on a classroom stream for everybody to look at. But you think I'm going to sit there and reach out to the parent to tell, let the parent know that instead of him posting the assignment, he posted his YouTube video that he created? No. But I do know that next week I'll be texting parents about progress reports. But I, I, I need them to be very aware that for the past few weeks, I've been saying, hey, you had your coffee today. We're expecting snow. Make sure you're good. Sending you guys love, special shout outs of, because I also give my students shout outs through text messaging. Um, but now next week, Monday, I'm going to say, um, hey, um, <laughs> Darius is missing some assignments. So you may want to let him catch up with that during the break and then we'll see what happens in January. And, and I love that because you, you haven't not talked to Darius about this, right? Like it's no. that, that was one of the things, you know, like it's, and, and again, as that secondary teacher, like that's what, you know, I, I cannot tell you how many conversations I would have with the like, all right, look, I'm going to have this conversation with you. Like you, you, you and I, like you and I, we're, we're in this together. So you need to know that this and this, this hasn't happened. And, um, and so I'm going to give you some time. Like, I'm not calling mom. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing any of this stuff. I was like, it's on the parent portal. Like if, if they want to look at it, it's there, but I'm no, there's no phone call that's happening, but there will come a time because well, they may tell you that they want you to live with them forever, but they really don't mean it. Like what they want is that when you are like, they, their goal in life is not to have a, a 40 year old son or daughter living with them in their basement, eating their pizza. Like their goal in life is to see you blossom and grow and do all this stuff. And, and um, you know, but, but you do, you have to tell them and, and, and it really, truly, doesn't matter what age they are, right? Like your little bitty ones, you want them to understand like, this is a conversation between us. This is our community. This is our expectation and, and kind of build it from there. Like I had one student who was, um, was having his mom, his mom was doing his assignment. Like, and he was turning it in. And this was one of those, like, I was not a fan of this assignment, but it was one that I was told that I needed to, to, it was, you know, one that we had to give or whatever. And it was, um, there was, there was some cursive happening in there and it was cursive practice, right? Like we have to make sure that they're doing cursive practice. Obviously now, you know, I wasn't a big fan of it. Anyways. So he turned it in and it was late. And it was one of those where I was like, you know, multiple, 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 late, 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 late. Hey, dude, you've got to have this. You've got to have this. Where is it at? I had sent home, you know, messages to home, all of this. Well, all of a sudden here comes like this massive packet of all of the homework that has been, you know, suddenly returned and it's all in mom's handwriting. And it's so obvious that it's mom's handwriting. And so I, you know, I pull him out in the hall and I'm like, Hey, 
So let's just go ahead and call a spade a spade. Like this is not your assignment, right? Like this is your assignment, but this is not your work. And he was like, well, see, it's hard for me to do this. And I started laughing and, and Yurita, as a former athletic coach, like I, I know you can, you and I can, we can speak the same language. And I was like, all right, so here, here's what I'm going to ask you. Like if all of a sudden you're playing in Friday night's game and you go out and like somebody lines up against you on, on the field and they are like, you know, six, nine and 275, you know, 300 pounds. Like, are you going to call a timeout and then walk over to the stands and like, Oh, Hey mom, it's too hard for me. Like, can you come in? Like, I, I, I can't do this. And he was like, and he started laughing. He was like, no, there's no way that I would do that. I was like, you realize that's exactly what you just did. Like you just tagged your mom in because this was too difficult for you to do. So like, that's not what we're going to do. And, and, you know, kind of brought it back into him and, and, you know, he did the assignment and, but he, it had to be real to him and he had to understand why it was that it, you know, it was kind of needed to be in there. It wasn't like, a, all right, well now you've, you've messed up and let's blow this all up. It was, you tried this, it didn't work. Now let's, you know, come up with your strengths in order to, to, to really get you to where I need you to be so that I can make sure that I'm measuring what you're, you're supposed to be doing. And, um, and I think that that's so critical. And that's what I hear you saying and in all of this. And, and the last thing that I'm going to say, and then I'm going to close my mouth is when you were talking about what is it that, that we're, we're trying to teach. And I, I immediately thought, are we trying to teach them to be us or are we trying to teach them to learn the things that they need to learn, right? And I think that so much of us, if we're really, really honest with ourselves, we, we blur that line more towards we're trying to teach them to be us. And, and that's not what we need to do with a classroom full of kids, whether they look like us or not, they're not us, right? Like, I mean, they, they have their own interests, they have their own dreams, they have their own strengths. And we need to help them get to, to where they're going in that. And, and so I just, you have, you, you certainly um, embody personalization through person to me in, in education. And I think that, that that is the part that hopefully we're really getting out of this conversation is target the person, not the, 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 the circumstance, right? Like instead reach to that person, teach to that person and, and help them come out of it with, with more learning, um, than, than they had before. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, prior to me teaching the students that I service now, I was actually at a traditional school. When I graduated college, I actually went back to teach at my own high school, and so it's like, you know, you're coming back and you have a lot to say. And I'm sitting in the history department. I'm like, no, because I remember when you were my teacher and you didn't do this. And I remember when you were my teacher and you felt to do this. And it was just pointing and pointing and pointing and pointing and pointing. And they were like, okay, you're right. So here's the curriculum. And so it was like, regardless of me reminding them of the things in the areas where I feel like they failed me as an individual student, they were still like, okay, we heard you, whatever, here's the curriculum that we all use, and this is what you're going to use, and it got to the point where I was just like, nope, I'm not doing it, and so I came in as that 21-year-old who the principal knew, 
And everyone else who taught me knew because I came straight back out of college. And they were just like, oh, Yuritsa, Yuritsa, Yuritsa. And I was like, no, we're going to change things. We have to use more technology. Um, I don't want to use that book. And they were just like me just picking at things, but also remembering my experience as a student was boring. There were some teachers who I was just like, oh, she's making this fun. And then others where I was just like, does he hate his job? Like, why does he keep eating this sandwich um, at the desk? And then he's giving me this long sheet. I think at that time it was called Math B, but it was calculus. And I was like, giving me this long sheet and I hated it. But when I became a teacher, it was because my sister, her and I would always play school. But her way of teaching to me was just phenomenal. I always thought she would become a teacher, but she's a social worker. Um, but it was just like, she would say, okay, so what did you learn today? And I would have to tell her what I learned in school. And then she would teach me a different way of doing it because she's older. And so I always felt like teaching had to be that way. It had to be where you're asking students their prior knowledge and then you're building on it. So if the kid never heard of imperialism as, as a teacher, now you have like, you know, this empty vessel that you could fill up. But if they did, you could take that and you could just, you know, you could do anything with it. And I feel like, Sometimes we lose ourselves with trying to be, like you guys said, compliant, right? You're really trying to say, okay, this is the curriculum, so I have to follow it. When teachers are not really understanding that a standard is there for you to use as a basis, not as the end all, right? End all be all. It, it, it can't be. It has to be, okay, I see this standard. It says that I'm supposed to have students draw, blah, 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 blah. But then with drawing, they're supposed to be able to analyze the text. Use some of the keywords and create your own, right? No one's perfect. I always say the standards that was created for Common Core is not for my students. I, I've always said that. And even if I put the standard directly on my lesson plan, I've always created my own objective and my own aim so that they can see this is what I took apart so that it can be aligned with who my students are. And so it's, it's, this conversation to me is powerful because especially teachers in traditional settings, we believe sometimes that everybody learns the same. And because our school has been doing things for so long, you know, with this one curriculum that we have to abide by it. And it's like, if you haven't noticed, not only is our times changing, but who our students are and what they expect is changing. I love when students ask me why. I mean, I may feel some type of way at first, like, ooh, did he just, did he just try me? Did he just really tried me, asked me why in front of the class? But then I have to say, you know what, Yurita? He's a critical thinker. He wants to know something beyond what you're just presenting. And I think teachers have to, you know, it's, 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 it's not to make you feel some type of way. They're letting you know they're learners, just like we are, right? If I didn't ask my professor certain questions, I don't think I would have ever, you know, obtained two masters. I had to ask questions. Okay, I read this 3,000-page book. I still don't understand it. I wrote all your papers, yay, but still, what was the message? Yes, I Googled, yes, I used SparkNotes. What was the overall message? No, I don't understand Shakespeare. I'm never gonna understand Shakespeare. What's going on here? So, you know, it's just, I don't know, education is fun as long as you take the time out to get to know your students. I was gonna say, you just said my favorite word and I've said it to my kids since they were old enough to listen to me, which is the most important question that you will ever ask is why. And I have the same story as you of, you know, the first kid who asked me in his little eighth grade, why we got to know this. And I, you know, I, and I immediately 
said why he needed to know it, right? And it was not because I said so. It was why he was going to use it because they're asking for relevance and you have to be able to say that. And I, I think that going back again to your, your don't take this personal, like it's not them calling you out. That said, as the teacher, hopefully you know your stuff enough to be able to say why it's important. And it's not because it's on this, this grading period's pacing guide, right? Like you need to be able to tell them, this is why you need to know ethos, pathos, and logos. And if, you know, and, and, and the minute that I told him that he was like, I got this. Thank you. Like he just needed to know because they, that's the whole point of having these standards is that we're explaining information that they need to know. And if we don't tell them why, then they don't know where to put it into their, their brain. And like, well, when am I going to use this? Right? Like if I'm learning the Pythagorean theorem, but I'm walking out into the woods I need to know when I would ever use that. Like, and I have to be able to, to understand that. Otherwise I'm not going to know how to put that in there. And so I think that that is so important that you said that because it's, it's one of those pieces that we, as teachers, honestly, we don't lead with the why often. And, and we just say, Nope, I, we, we lead with what we lead with that curriculum and, and we don't understand the importance of, of wrapping that why back in both for ourselves as well as for our, for our kiddos. So, well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I have like, I get to listen to these more than once. Um, you're sick cause I do the post-production, which by the way, is just adding a bumper and making sure the audio never messes up terribly, <laughs> but there's no real editing. So I, I like to make it sound like I have a real big job. I don't. Um, but, um, but I just really feel like there's a lot to unpack here. Like I'm going to listen to this again and get more out of it every time I listen to it. So I know our, our listeners are going to love it too. I, I really appreciate it. I just want to say a big thank you for everything you've shared. I hear your empathy. I hear your focus. I hear your focus on learners, your focus on content. And I just think that's really, really important. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Um, I don't know what, what I said there that she felt she needed to jump into the conversation. But anyway, so um, I do want to give you a chance to have any final thoughts. And I believe you said there was a reveal. So I do want to make sure and give a moment for that. So, so we'll do the I mean, drum roll. That's still Siri. Why is she involved in this conversation? <laughs> sorry. Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I will be editing this episode. <laughs> Probably. Um, final words. I, I I think I said final words. Um, you know, this is this has been a difficult year. Just make sure that you make twenty twenty one great for students, and, and the way you do that is just by getting to know your students. There's no such thing as a, a perfect school year. Um, you know, just just be prepared. Be prepared just to smile. Um, I wouldn't say so much as, you know, be prepared content-wise because if you ask me, I haven't been taking my content serious. Um, I've only been worrying about how my students are doing, especially during this time. So what I would say is, you know, be great in 2021. And as far as the reveal, um, with the Accurate series, um, I, I wanted to figure out a way where I could involve teachers more and uh, with the Ask Your series, what we do is we take a poll of questions being asked around the world. And then every Monday, I bring another educator in and we break that question down. We get some resources. And every Friday, I usually post a blog post with different links and books 
um, but also recapping Monday's episode. For 2021, I wanted to take it a step further. Um, so what I'm doing uh, in partnership with Flipgrid and Microsoft is I'm actually having a coaching responsive teaching masterclass. And it's gonna be free of course. Um, and I'll be doing it in cohorts. And so what's gonna happen is individual teachers could sign up for it for free or schools or districts. Um, and it'll be live sessions with me um, I'll also do like office hours and everything, but uh, it'll be like the first session would be how to do introductions in your classrooms um, that are all culture responsive. The next is how do you integrate content? And then the third is basically how do you do reflections without making students feel like they're not being forced um, to do reflections. And um, every cohort is three sessions, um, but you'll get a time to, you know, do office hours with me. So if you implemented this this week, because it's every week, and so if you implemented this this week and then during the next session, you realize, oh, you know, I got 90% of students to actually engage, but I'm missing that 10%, then you and I can discuss how you can actually increase it by that 10%. And so that's what 2021 is going to bring is going to bring a coaching responsive teaching masterclass free of course for anyone who's interested. I'm interested. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> so wait, tell our listeners more. Where do they sign up? Because they're going to be doing it right now as they're listening. <laughs> Well, we're going to actually, you guys are the first to hear this. We're promoting, yeah, we're promoting it at the end of the month. Um, so right now I just finished uh, doing the blueprint for it. Um, I'm even trying to throw in totes that say I'm a coaching responsive teacher. Um, so, you know, my mind is like everywhere, but for sure at the end of the month, you guys will receive, especially if you guys have signed up for the Flipgrid blogs. I know it's about 13,000 educators that have signed up so far. Um, and so on Twitter, if you're, if you're following me for sure, we'll post it also with the link of how to sign up. And then for, if you're, for teachers who are unavailable, meaning you can't come onto the live sessions, that's totally fine because what we're going to do is we're going to record the sessions. And so you can still be a part of the cohort and just catch up with the recordings and still have time to do one-on-ones with me as well. Oh my, so much flexibility built in. I love that. Yeah, Thank real you. quick, um, just for, for people, because I think sometimes um, culturally responsive teaching gets a, uh, is misunderstood as like who all might want to learn more about this and all that kind of stuff. So can you just give um, people a little bit of an idea as to, you know, who, who would be in this? Because I'll just go ahead and say that I think that a lot of times we uh, generalize and say, oh, well, that must be if you're teaching um black and brown kids, or if you have, you know, all of the, like we, we have a tendency to, to compartmentalize that. And, and I would love it if you would, um, you know, help give us a bit, a broader uh, context for what that means. So with culturally responsive teaching, what the educator is doing is looking at the student's interests, their culturally references, basically the things that they like to do. And then you're integrating that with the content. So it's, if I know that you love cars, but you can't understand math, then a better way for me to do this that's culturally responsive is maybe I'll give you word problems that deals with cars, right? You want to implement things in your classroom that triggers learning or some kind of experience with your students. I tell people all the time, um, I remember seeing a mathematical equation and the math problem itself was discussing apple picking. I've never been apple picking ever. Ever. So it wasn't that I didn't understand the mathematical problem. 
I just was stuck on the idea of, I can't imagine this. I can't picture it. And, you know, the first thing teachers do is, well, just imagine yourself. And I was like, I can, nope, uh, I don't know what apple picking is. I've, I've never even seen it. And so sometimes as educators, we make assumptions that kids should know things when they don't. And so that hinders them from actually completing tasks. And so with culturally responsive teaching, all you're literally doing is placing your students into the content. So if you're asking who is this for, this is for everyone. With the extra to series, we started off with no one. Now we have 13,000 people that have subscribed to the blog. I have teachers from all over the world, even Africa, who are asking questions. I have teachers who only teach white students who want to be culturally responsive. Being culturally responsive has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with understanding other people, understanding someone else's interests. When you go on your first date, you're asking that person that's sitting across from you things that they like to do. What are your hobbies? I mean, if you're me, you're also asking how much do you make? But anyway, that's another conversation, right? But that's being closely responsive, right? Because you're preparing for date number two, if all goes well, now you know that he likes Italian. So guess what I might do? I might actually go to an Italian restaurant or I may cook some spaghetti and meatballs or something else for you, right? So that's just being culturally responsive. It's being aware that you have a diverse community out there. How are you understanding everything that goes on with that, with that community if you're not even taking the time out to understand them? I love how she frames it in a way that brings everyone in. Like that, <laughs> that's what you're trying to do, right? We want to teach teachers how to bring everyone in and you yeah. bring everyone in just in describing why it's important for everyone. So I love that so much. Well Thank said, you. well said. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time. I, I could talk to you. I know I see this to a lot of guests because again, we don't invite people on unless we'd probably want to go to happy hour with them. We would want to go to happy hour with you for sure. And hopefully one day we will, maybe it'll be at a conference or something like that back when we're allowed to be all together. But we so appreciate you. Thank you for all your work in the classroom, out of the classroom, all your sharing. So grateful for you. And we're going to have all your information. We're going to have a frame for those who are watching with your, um, your Twitter handle. We'll be on that. And then in the show notes, we're going to put as much as we can so people can connect with you. We are so okay. grateful for you. Thank you so much. This was fun. This was, this was a great time. I, I am just, I know that I am certainly just like capturing all of the notes and there are just so many things that um, have really resonated with me and I cannot wait to share this episode with our, with our listeners. So thank you for, for definitely making all of us better today for sure, for sure. So thank you very much. Thank Thank you for your time. Thank you to everyone listening and we will be back with another episode soon. I don't know. We, this is all by the seat of our pants. We don't really plan anything, but we'll be back. We're coming soon. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thanks everyone. If you enjoyed this batch of Lemonade Learning, please check out our website, LemonadeLearning.us for more resources. Be sure to subscribe today so you don't miss out on future lessons, laughter, or lemonade. And if you're feeling really generous, please go to Apple Podcasts to submit a review so other educators know the value. One last thing. Learning and Lemonade are best together. So please connect with us on social media using the hashtag LemonadeLearning to share your story. Plus, we're always looking to give away stickers and swag.